The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with The First Circle, and today I have Julie Frankham uh, with the VBAC link. She's one of the hosts of the VBAC link podcast, which is wildly successful and so, <laughs> so good to listen to. So you're going to have to head over and listen to the VBAC link yes. on your favorite podcast um, subscription service. And she's going to come, she's telling us about what is a VBAC, what's a VBAC to see, what's it, what's it, or no, it's, see, I don't even know all the terms, but she's, well, good thing I'm here then. Yes. So... <laughs> A VBAC is a vaginal birth after cesarean, but I heard that if you try that, you blow up. (laughs) You know, that's actually a common misconception. Um, It's interesting because um, VBAC is often really misunderstood and there's a lot of fear surrounding it and a lot of misinformation um, going on. And and there's a whole history, you know, related to that that we talk about in our, in those courses. But the fact of the matter is, is that VBAC is not as scary as most people would lead you to think that it is. And so blowing up, the term blowing up that you just use is is kind of funny. We chuckle at that a little bit, but um, you're probably referring to what most people um, would think of uterine rupture. And uterine rupture is when um, the scar step, or actually it doesn't even have to be at your scars. A A uterus can rupture anywhere, but the increased risk of uterine rupture comes after having a C-section. And so... Why is the uterine rupture so dangerous? So... Most of the time, it's not very dangerous. So when the uterine scar separates or the cesarean scar separates, most of the time, there's a a clear indication of that going on by either the fetal heart rate, excessive bleeding, the mother um, having pain that doesn't last or that doesn't go away between contractions. Mm. Um, There's lots of other signs of uterine rupture and baby can be... um, birthed quickly. You typically by C-section, you know, unless the baby's far enough along for like a vacuum or forcep delivery. Um, but, and then mother and baby are fine and there's no long-term consequences. But every once in a while, um, a uterine rupture is catastrophic, which would lead to um, loss of infant life or, and you know, the... The chances of a a mother, like a loss of maternal life from uterine rupture are so incredibly rare. There's not even a statistic for it. Usually, right? Usually like the things that bleed out internally and then. Right. So there's like risks, there's risks and like complications. So like sometimes there'll be like a radical hysterectomy, like the whole, the whole uterus has to be removed, um, including the ovaries, or there'll be excessive hemorrhaging and they'll need blood transfusions and other complications like that. But overall, the risks um, associated with VBAC are statistically a lot safer than the risks with repeat cesarean, especially when you're talking of three or four or even more cesareans, which we we have a lot of babies in Utah. Mm-hmm. So we see a lot of big families out here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, v, VB2C, VB3C, right. all, what are all the fun little acronyms that everybody uses? Yeah. So VBAC, VBAC is just VBAC or vaginal birth after cesarean. And that's just um, vaginal birth after having one cesarean. 
Now, when you add the numbers in, that usually refers to how many cesareans you've had. So a VBAC or a VBA2C would stand for VBAC after two C-sections. Uh, 3C, 4C, same thing. VBAC after three C-sections, VBAC after four C-sections. Sometimes you'll see the term VBAC or VBAMC, which stands for VBAC after multiple C-sections, mm -hmm. which pretty much just sounds for like anything more than one. Because a lot of times the... Uh, the people think that that's even a, a whole lot scarier. Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually not that much scarier. There's the risks really? involved are not statistically significant enough to um, discourage somebody for at least attempting that in a safe environment that's prepared to handle um, any type of birth emergency. Wow. Okay. So um, when we're talking statistics, you're saying it's so minuscule for a woman to die of uterine rupture. It's just, it's really, really, really rare. Like there's not even a statistic for it. Like there's not even, it, like... Well, I'm sure there's a statistic, Maybe. but it's not significant enough to be well, really no, like worried. Like I it. haven't, I, I've dug into um, birth by a national vital statistics since 1970, gathering cesarean rates, um, VBAC rates, infant mortality rates, maternal mortality rates, and, and there's literally, n uh, is so statistically insignificant that it's not even tracked. But it does happen oh, because I, I knew somebody who maybe who ruptured and and it ended up in a in a massive um a, a total hysterectomy, but she didn't die. So I guess right. we have so many near misses. Yeah, we have a and, lot of a, and that's the thing is that there could be severe complications. You know, obviously with a radical hysterectomy, she wouldn't be able to have kids in the future, and um, you know, healing complications and things like that. But but it's being such, it's not even on anybody's radar. The biggest thing that we're worried about with uterine rupture is the loss of infant life, which would happen in one in 762 women who attempt a VBAC will have a catastrophic uterine rupture, which means loss of infant life or um, severe complications um, like radical history. So one in 762? Yeah, one in 762. What, is the, yeah. what, what about for a, just a second cesarean? What are the st stats of having a major complication with a second or third or fourth cesarean? So, so what, by the time you get to three cesareans, you have a one in three chance of needing a major intervention like blood transfusion or dense adhesions. I just had a client or uh, my business partner had a client whose um, uterine scar had grown into her bladder. And so um, she was attempting a VBAC, but it ended up in needing to have a, a repeat cesarean because um, she's going for her VBAC after three C-sections. And so it was her fourth child. So she'd had three C-sections and the scar tissue from those C-sections mm -hmm. had grown into and through the bladder. And so that caused complications and obviously, you know, another uh, C-section um, and thing um, associated with that. But I do have some statistics here. Um, related to VBAC and cesarean. Let me just flip through them. But what are the chances of having a major problem with the next C-section? Right. So VBAC versus repeat cesarean, that's a choice that a lot of women have to make. Unfortunately, 90% of women who have had a C-section aren't given any options besides having another one. And women aren't educating themselves enough to know that they have other options. And so 10% of women will actually attempt a VBAC. 10% of women who have had a C-section is mm -hmm. what I mean. Um, but when you're looking at risks after the first cesarean, did you know that, that it's not attempting a VBAC that puts you at risk for uterine rupture? It's the C-section itself that puts you at risk for uterine rupture. So you can rupture 
without even going into labor. So a lot of times women think, oh, well, if I just schedule a repeat cesarean, then then I eliminate my risks for uterine rupture. But that's not true. It does happen. It, it doesn't happen as often as it does mm-hmm. when women are, are actively contracting and their uterus is working to get the baby out. But it does happen. So um, in fact, <laughs> in... Um, when you're looking side by side statistically um, with VBAC versus repeat cesarean, um, just going through some other statistics not related to uterine rupture, but um, on VBAC attempts for um, we're going to talk about hysterectomies right now. Um, if you're on your first VBAC attempt, you have like a one in four hundred and thirty-five chance of having a, hyst- a hysterectomy because of the birth, right? So that's 0.23%. But when you're looking at your second C-section, you're, you have one in 238 chance. So that's 0.42%. So your chance of just hysterectomy alone is almost double with having a repeat C-section as it is with having a VBAC. When you're on your third C-section, you have a 1% chance of needing a hysterectomy because of that third C-section. Um, as far as blood transfusions, um, they're about similar. Like the the likelihood of needing a blood transfusion um, between VBAC and repeat cesarean, the, the risks are st- statistically insignificant. But when you're on your third C-section, you're going to need, you're going to have a one in 44 chance of needing a blood transfusion. So one in 44 women will need a blood transfusion, two and a half percent. When the risk of rupture, by the way, is half of a percent. So, My mind is swimming. I'm not a numbers person. It's so like let's, so much data. Yeah, yeah slow it down. Let's break let's, it down. Yeah, let's make it into a picture. Okay, we've uh-huh. got Sally giving birth uh-huh. in a birth center as a VBAC. Uh-huh. And yeah. we've got Molly giving birth in a hospital mm-hmm. for her second C-section. Right. Okay, Sally at home, her risk of a uterine rupture or is 1 in 2 in 50? Right. Okay, uh, and her risk of have, having to have another C-section, though, is 1 in... Well... Depending on a lot of factors, but the average success rate, if you look at the average success rates for right. VBAC, is up to 80%. But if you're giving birth at home, you're a lot likely to be with a more experienced midwife. And midwives, at least in our area, have a 90 to 97% success wow. rate for a successful okay. vaginal birth. So she has a 90, 90, 80 to 97% um, success rate of getting her VBAC. Right. Um, but she does have a one in 250 chance of a uterine rupture. Right. What is the the stats for a normal, like a first time mom? What is the one, the rupture rate? So first time mom, the rupture rates, I actually minuscule, don't know that, right? but it's, it's, it's not very minuscule. common. It okay. hardly ever happens, but it does happen. I actually just talked to a lady a few weeks ago. Yeah, no, I, her yeah. first birth, her uterus happened. And so she's she's pregnant with her second baby and she's treated like a VBAC mom because her uterus ruptured and they had to go in and Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then you've got the mom in the hospital right. and her rate of um, achieving or having another of uterine rupture in the second C-section or major problem is one in... 443, her chances of having a hysterectomy. Yeah. So we're not really comparing apples to apples because... Yeah. It's just it's just the type of risk. And, this, and like we were just talking about before we started recording, right? So the thing about risks and statistics is that it doesn't tell you how one person is going to react in any given situation. But what's important is that you know what the risks are because the risk of having a hysterectomy is twice as likely as the risk of uterine upshire period. And most uterine ruptures end up just in a repeat cesarean, no harm, or no foul to mom no or baby. Okay. Right. And so if you're thinking of, if you're looking at the um, risks of hysterectomy, which for a 
second C-section mom is one in 238 or half a percent, um, then that's three times more likely than a catastrophic uterine rupture. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of compared to comparing to a- apples to oranges, but when you look overall at the risks, the risks overall related to repeat cesarean tend to be higher, sometimes twofold, threefold, fourfold even, um, to to the risk of uterine rupture. So just devil's advocate here. You have a mom yeah, sure. that had four C-sections, mm-hmm. okay? Is it safer for her to attempt a VBAC after four sections or a fifth C-section? And I'm not, you know, yeah. you're not an OB or anything. Hey, I'm just curious. No, that's Synthesize totally fine. The stats Let's for talk me. statistically. I'm going to mm-hmm. answer that question in a couple different ways. I have a, a client right now actually who is going for a VBAC after three C-sections. She's Ooh. 37 weeks right now. She's got the best doctor in the state. Um, she's going to, he, he knows his stuff. I bet I know who that is, I but we're not mentioning names. We're not talking <laughs> about, yeah, we, we don't talk about names. Um, and it's really interesting because when you look at the statistics for vaginal birth after multiple cesareans, um, first of all, this is going to be a really long answer, by the way. Okay, I'll get out the popcorn. <laughs> yeah. So when you're looking at stats for VBAC after multiple C-sections, first of all, there's not a, a lot of data out there because most people, aren't most doing people that. don't do it. No. Right. So you got to be crazy. Right. You're client crazy. Well, there's been seven studies um, <laughs> since 1990, um, including, you know, just random sample sizes of women who have attempted um, vaginal birth after more than, more than two cesareans. So it's three C-sections or higher. And I actually reference, you can find all the links to all of those studies on my blog, on my popular blog page, actually. It's called the vbacklink.com slash pop blogs. So you can go there, find our blog on VBAC after multiple C-sections. And the interesting thing is, um, and like I said, these these are not huge sample sizes. So we're looking at sample groups. Um, the one of the lowest study had like 580 people in it, but like the largest one had like 15,000 people in it. Wow. So it's not it's not like a huge huge enough to get a like accurate view. Yeah. Technically, but it gives us a good picture, right? One of the studies had zero women rupture. One of those studies had zero out of all the attempts. And um, the average rupture rate was 1.4% for um, VBAC after multiple C-sections. But like I said, one of the studies has a 0% rupture rate. And then the highest one was 1.9% So it's rupture really rate. not as high as... I it's mean, you're not, not. going to actually explode and bleed out your nose. No, and that's, okay. and that's I mean, for uterine <laughs> rupture, period. Wow. And then out of those, one in 16 will be catastrophic. And so really... If, if you kind of like think about this backwards, so just we'll just call it an even 2%. Okay, let's just say 2% chance of having a rupture, which is normally a complication that we can resolve with, with some extra effort, right? So if you're looking at it from any other medical field, so let's say I'm a heart surgeon, okay? And I need to do a heart surgery on you. And there is a 98% chance that everything is going to go perfectly, but there's a 2% chance that there could be an additional complication, but if it is, then we'll just um, change pr- mm-hmm. plans a little bit and you'll be, you'll likely be okay. But there's like a, like a 0.02% chance that 
your heart will die because it's, you know, you know, you don't have a baby technically when you're right, having right, heart okay. surgery, right? So there, but then it would be a no brainer. You'd be like, heck yeah, do the surgery. Uh-huh. This is, this is in, in, but for some reason with obstetrics, we look at it so differently and a lot of it's based on fear and misunderstanding and misinformation. And my, I also suggest uh-huh. my opinion is that, um, these obstetricians, man, they work so hard. They do. They're Cortisol levels. I don't even like, like, don't want even. to imagine what they look like because Air traffic they're controllers, all night. Yeah, they yeah. sleep during the day. They get two to four hour chunks of sleep. They're on call. They take dozens and dozens of clients every single month. They have to remember everybody's circumstances about every little thing. They're in clinic and they're delivering babies. They've got such a complicated schedule, but also, you know, the one in 162 um, Tolax, which is trial of labor after cesarean is like mm-hmm. before the feedback, you're a Tolac. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they maybe have seen one of those or two of those, but our providers aren't being taught or know how to process through those experiences. Mm. And so, and this is like me, just me talking. I'm, I'm not, I don't have any like statistics or anything to back it up, but I know that providers, um, aren't properly handling the trauma that they witness and support when they're delivering babies. And so it would be easy for them. It's easy for me to make decisions based on the trauma that I've experienced in the past to avoid having um, it, uh, to avoid having and both, seeing it again, both watching the mom go through the trauma, but also yeah. birth um, provider yeah. trauma. We, yeah. we haven't even like gone into that, but the trauma that yeah. a birth provider can suffer I'm watching somebody suffer well, or for sure. scary. Sometimes. And I don't like me just as a doula, I'm a doula. And sometimes I leave a birth and it's just heavy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what could I have done differently? You know, I've seen some pretty traumatic yeah. um, things as a birth. I've supported a stillbirth as a doula. And while, you know, the outcome, that outcome wasn't related to anything I did. I, you know, walked away Still from there heavy. saying like, oh, wow, like it is heavy. And heavy. I've done mm-hmm. a lot of processing and, and I've had clients that like say, okay, um, they explain similar symptoms to me. And instead, and no one like, I have to, like, that's a little bit of a trigger for me sometimes. And instead of saying, go to the hospital right now, something's wrong, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I just coach them through and help yeah. them, you know, work through all of the things that they already know and remember mm-hmm. to make a plan that's best for them. But I can imagine a provider seeing something that was familiar to something or seeing something that looked like something that ended traumatic for one of his patients wanting to save that patient. And guess what is the best and easiest way to save a patient? C-section. Yep. Quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. quick. It's easy. And um, I mean, there's lots of different reasons um, that OBs do a lot of the things that they do. But I believe that most OBs have a good heart and they're wanting to do the best things yes, for, for, sure. for their patients. Mm-hmm. And they're wanting to do the best things that they can do to operate like within their bounds. And also like they have, you know, there's, there's litigious reasons. They, they have my practice insurance. There's yeah, like a whole sure. conglomerate of things that work into the decisions so, that are being made. I mean, made. I'm going to lead you in an opinion here, but I'm betting that people who have education that, ha- that take a, um, a birth class, if they want to be back and they take a birthing class, it's be back mm-hmm. friendly and centered yeah. that they are going to have better ed- outcomes, right? right? Because what are the things that you can do as a mom to, um, 
not ensure because nothing's sure, but right. help um, increase your chances uh, for VBAC success. Yeah, thank you. That. <laughs> That's exactly what we designed our course to do. Mm-hmm. We're actually trying to think of a nice snappy name for it um, right now, but we have course to educate doulas. So we have an advanced VBAC doula certification program where a doula can become certified as a VBAC doula. Mm-hmm. And we also have a preparation course for parents that that is meant to teach them exactly all the right things that they need to do, know, and feel in order to increase their chances for having a successful and safe and, and satisfying birth. Do you birth. have tips in that course on how to interface with your provider? Oh yeah, and we have your... provider interview sheets. We have questions. Neat. We know how to tell if a provider is VBAC supportive versus just like they'll let you have a VBAC if everything goes perfectly. And um, what go, does perfect mean? Yeah. And what does perfect mm-hmm. mean for them? Because yeah. a lot of a lot of providers have rules. And I mean, the most controversial thing surrounding VBAC is in induction, you know, you'll find doctors that say, we don't induce feedback. If you don't go into labor by 38 weeks, we have to just do a C-section. If you don't go into labor by 40 weeks, we're going to induce you. Oh, but we don't induce feedback. Oh, but we will induce feedback, but we won't give you this particular thing. And there's like so many things. And so knowing what that looks like. Yeah. And why Mm -hmm. attitudes are the way they are and why they're surrounding them. And then you know, what's what is evidence-based and what's based on fact. So we're educating women on how to prepare mentally and physically. And then we're also just, mm-hmm. our manual, our training manual is 110 pages chock full of information all about VBAC. And it's all backed up by evidence and current like scientific studies and resources, like credible resources like mm-hmm. ACOG, American Pregnancy Association, the World Health Organization. And um, we have four pages of resources at the end. Um, so you can go and dig even deeper into that information so that you can take, the education that you learn in our course and couple that with your preferences mm-hmm. and what you feel is right yeah, inside. Yeah, for sure. Okay, okay. Yeah. So what, okay, what makes a mom a good candidate for a VBAC versus a terrible candidate for a VBAC? Oh my can, goodness. Because <laughs> some of it's self-screening, right? Can you, can you um, kind of decide whether or not you want to go for it? So that's the first step, right? So according to the American Pregnancy Association, 90% of women um, who have had a previous cesarean are good candidates for VBAC. 90%. That's a lot. Yeah. But do you remember I said before, only 10% of women will be given the option to try. Oh, that's... Mm. That's a huge disconnect, right? A huge yeah. disparity. And so here's what ACOG says. I can tell you what ACOG says about what are contraindications to VBAC. So ACOG says... Um, Actually, the first thing that they say is in their new bulletin, it's bulletin number 184, is just published in 2017, so it's pretty current. Um, The first thing they say is that individual circumstances should be considered and consulted with your provider, Mm -hmm. right? And so they don't necessarily rule out anything, but they do say a few things that may be contraindications for VBAC. Like? Like. First of all, anything that would be a contraindication to a rate, to a vaginal birth generally, like placenta previa, placenta accreta, mm-hmm. um, complications like that. Placenta previa is when the placenta grows over the cervix opening. Right. And accreta is where it's... Through the uterus. Through the uterus. Through the uterine lining. So yeah. then that causes um, major hemorrhage when the baby... Yeah, major yeah. hemorrhage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and some other complications just depending on So those on would be a bad feels. idea. Don't. So that you would have... you That would just <laughs> risk you out of va- vaginal birth in general. Yes. You would have to have mm-hmm. a C-section. That would be one thing that you would really be endangering... Um, and I, and I don't usually say that, like I, I don't use, just throw around, oh, you're endangering your life. You're endangering your baby's yeah. life loosely. I, I, I hardly ever use that term, but that is definitely a reason. Not, um, not a, a chance, not a needed. chance. Yeah, yeah. Just don't, don't even, even, don't even try it. Nope. Um, and, but it, 
also it, go, it talks about um, different incision types. So usually we have um, the most common cesarean Oh yeah, what's incision. The, the bikini? Yeah, the bikini oh, cut. What is the bikini <laughs> cut? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Oh dear. So it's not actually called that, but that's what most people refer to. Like the low transverse is the technical oh, term. Oh, low transverse. Low transverse. Okay. So it's just like the lower bikini cut you put well, your What's under. the one where the doctor's like in the movies is like, well, you're never going to wear a bikini again. <laughs> <laughs> that's called um, a classical incision. Oh, okay. <laughs> so those are what we see on like in the early 1900s when like cesareans were really, really okay, uncommon. Okay, so, so what are they, what's the difference between a low transverse and a classical? So a classical is like a vertical incision through the top of the uterus, like through the top middle so part of your stomach. So it's coming on the top of your stomach. Yeah. And they're cutting from chin to navel. Yeah. So they're going yeah, yeah. up and down. Vertically, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the low transverse is horizontal and then the vertical From hip one. to hip. Okay. Right. And then low transverse is down from, where your yeah, bikini line is yeah. and it's going from low. Okay. So that probably affects where the uterine muscle is, right? Yeah. So the cool thing about the low transverse incision is the uterine, like the uterine fibers like grow horizontally grow horizontally that's like how the muscle fibers are they're just um, horizontal so oh, so it's easier wow. for them to like heal together so if you're cutting top so if you're to cutting bottom through the fibers oh dear. well not see that's why people think oh it sounds so scary and then you're gonna blow up and then you're, you're gonna, gonna blow okay, up okay okay <laughs> but you're not gonna blow up so ACOG says that that might be a contraindication for VBAC right but there's this really awesome group called special scars um special scars just google them there's a website I think is special scars special hope org Maybe. Huh, okay. But um, it's all about women with classical incisions. And then there's other types of Why would you scars. get a classical incision nowadays? So usually for like a premature C-section because um, baby's like not low enough yet oh. like, or it'd be harder to get out. Or if baby's like far enough engaged, sometimes they'll cut a little line upwards from the Got it. low transition and they call that a T, inverted T. It looks kind of like an upside down oh, T. Oh, I've just heard need, people say, yeah. I got an inverted T. Like yeah. that was something to it, yeah to know about. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's important to know because uh -huh. you're going to have a harder time finding a supportive provider. But again, the statistics are still less than 2% as far as rupture rate goes with your different special scars so they call them special scars so there's a t there's a j which is like um the a line j. so it like kind of hooks up at the end if you just imagine what a j looks like but like laying down on its side usually those happen by accident oh yeah <laughs> and then and it, isn't there a certain way that you can um sew up like i've heard people oh he sewed me up in three different layers or whatever oh yeah so double layer suturing that's actually kind of a hot topic right now um it used to be um that when doctors were looking at your operative report from your C-section, they wanted to know how many layers of suturing you had, which means like basically do they sew the, because the uterus has three layers to it. And if they just use single layer sutures, it means they sew the uterus back together just all at once. And so the different layers don't and they so the different layers together. may, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But if you use double layer, double layer suturing, you separate the layers of the uterus so that they um, grow back together a little um, more efficiently is the idea behind it, right? But there's more and more studies and research coming out now that there is not a significant difference between the type of suturing that you've had. So, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After all that? After all that. 
you know, it's just like, it's just like every, a lot of things in the medical field. We just do things because we think yeah, that there's not a lot of, yeah. And, and then and 10 years later, we're like, oh, yeah. because somebody might listen to some random podcast and get weird information. I know. <laughs> well, thankfully, this is not a random podcast. <laughs> thankfully, we brought in the best. No, I'm sure we're well, still going to get exactly messages about it. Well, that's exactly why we created our class is because, man, Megan and I, our business, my business partner and I, we both had VBAC. She had a VBAC after two C-sections. I've had three VBACs at home even. And, um, yes, Sarah, yes. Sarah will video yes, two of those. I actually got to meet yes. two of those. <laughs> <laughs> and we spent hours and hours and hours digging through Google chats and getting yelled at on Facebook for our birth choices and getting criticized. Really? Yeah. Well, oh yeah. Megan has huh. a really bad story about that. You'll have to ask her. Wow. Or getting, um, getting condescending remarks from family members or friends. Because you almost know. killed your baby. Because, oh yeah. Oh my gosh. I had a midwife tell me, uh, um, uh, hospital midwife wife, um, tell me that if I ruptured at home, me and my baby will die. She looked at me and dead in the eyes and told me that, but I almost slapped at her because by that point I had known the truth. So, so no, really you won't die. What happens? No. So this is so statistically, <laughs> Which is, I am a huge statistics geek. I, if can tell. Know, I, I would <laughs> rather do colors and shapes and sparkly yeah. unicorn fairy paint. Well, but. the cool thing is, is that the American Pregnancy Association, no, the American College of Nurse Midwives, no, the American Midwives Association. Wow. Sorry. Lots of associations. The American Midwives Association did a study last year um, examining home birth safety versus hospital safety, right? And so... It, there's nothing related to like VBAC at home specifically. So this is where you got to kind of like play a little puzzling and piecing together. But this is what the American Midwives Association said about home birth in general, that it's just as safe or safer than hospital birth as long as four criteria are met. The four criteria is um, that your home birth is planned uh-huh. and prepared for. Mm-hmm. So no, no, no accidental home births here. Um, that it's with a provider that is trained, skilled, and experienced in home birth specifically, mm-hmm. that you um, have a backup plan in case of emergency and are close enough to transfer care emergently so if maybe it needs to maybe not be. two hours away from the closest hospital, yeah. not a good idea. Yeah, okay. right. And then the fourth requirement is that you're a low-risk low risk pregnancy. So, so and maybe also, not delivering triplets as a VBAC at home. Yeah, maybe, maybe not, not that. Maybe, but you know, I mean, but choices. But, but and uh. it's important to know that VBAC does not make you high risk. VBAC does not automatically <gasps> make you high hold risk. On, hold on, hold on. That's a a paradigm. I'm gonna have to just, <laughs> really. It does not make you high risk. No, it doesn't. It's, you're not you're not automatically high risk if you're a VBAC. So you need to put that on a T-shirt because I'm pretty sure that um, nobody believes that. No, do you know what I'm gonna make into a T-shirt for real though? I'm gonna make a T-shirt that says my pelvis is huge. <laughs> no, because do you know huge. how many women are told that their pelvis is just too small to have a baby? Uh-huh. Like that's so incredibly rare. But anyways, going back to home birth. So so knowing the safety of home birth. And knowing the odds of um, uterine rupture happening, and after interviewing eight midwives and hiring on an incredible midwife who had done over a thousand births and talked about emergency transfer in case that something was going wrong, that is the risk that I chose that was most acceptable for me mm-hmm. because there's no, no offense to hospital births. I love hospital births. Well, I yeah, support them sure. all the time. All the time. You got a birth where you're comfortable. Yep. There was no way in heck I was walking into a hospital again after my first C-section experience. 
And so... Do you think now if you decided to have another one after three home births, do you think they would take a VBAC seriously? I mean, are you even oh, a well, VBAC anymore? Oh, well, now I have anymore? a proven cervix. Yes. So, oh, yeah. Oh, the proven, does it get an No, award? it's real. That's literally what they call and it, a proven, proven cervix. Pelvis. Yeah, proven pelvis. I'm, I've got, yeah, I've got a trophy. So your cervix is not broken. Yeah, but they still they still take it with risk. They still look at it as a, as a risk because it is still a risk. Yeah. Your risk goes, so your risk for uterine rupture goes down slightly after each successful vaginal birth. But, you know, it's still there. But you know what? Interesting that you asked that because for my fourth birth, I actually started out going to a hospital because, um, well, there's a lot of different reasons that we just don't have time to get into yeah. right now. But, um, but actually midway through my pregnancy, um, our insurance changed and that hospital wasn't covered anymore. Oh. And as a doula, you know, I'd worked at a lot of hospitals and I'd met a lot of um, providers and mm -hmm. interacted with them. And there was no way I was going to go to any hospital that was actually in network in my insurance company anymore because I've so, seen how so they treat women. So we call you a birth snob? Is that I what we should call you? I kind of am. Yeah. But it was funny because I switched back to home birth and and I'm, I called my husband. And I'm like, you are going to hate me. Our insurance just changed. And so I really want to, I think we need to go back to home birth. It just feels like the right thing to do. But I promise I'll give you as much time as you need to be comfortable with that again. And he's like, oh, thank goodness. I just so, I'm so glad because I just didn't even know why we weren't doing home birth in the first place. Oh. <laughs> and that's when my heart was like, oh, you really do yeah. believe in this. Like, it's really cool. I know the first time my home birth, my first home birth, my husband's like, you're going to kill us all. We're all going to die. And the second time he's like, hey, can we have a water birth this time? I think it would be really great. Yeah. Well, it's really funny how these husbands um, shift just because we're raised in a culture that um, is very patriarchal for birth, which mm -hmm. is interesting because birth is a maternal thing. And so we have all of these like rules and regulations and what we're supposed to do. And mm -hmm. it's evolved. And even a generation ago, like from when our mothers were birthing us, the birth culture and everything surrounding birth right now is very different. And I hope that when my daughters are giving yeah, birth. It's, sure. It looks very different still. It looks very different too. Yeah. yeah. They'll listen to our episodes and go, wow, they were just so close-minded. and so poorly. <laughs> no. But really, what really comes down to is that each birth is completely different mm -hmm. and you can go ahead and have a C-section and then you can go home and have a home, birth, home water birth mm -hmm. and then you can go back to the hospital uh, that supports um, a vaginal birth and you can do another one there. And then the fourth, you may elect for a C-section again. Yeah. And all really, of those choices are it's good. totally... Those are all good choices. Yes, totally. I don't want to sound like I'm anti-cesarean. I'm not anti-cesarean. I'm anti-unnecessary yeah, cesarean. Yeah, I agree. And this is the thing. Cesarean rates in the United States, one in three women are having C-sections in the United States right now. One in three, 32.7%. So a little less than one in three. But um, that is a lot of that mm -hmm. um, comes from um, this culture and the ease and women being, mm -hmm. you know, it's just easier to do a C-section than to wait for a longer labor or to try and correct a poorly positioned or baby. In, or in being defensive, practicing defensive medicine. And practicing mm -hmm. defensive medicine, absolutely. And in the mid-90s, like everybody was suing everybody for everything. Yeah. And also in the mid-90s, we were using this drug called Cytotec to oh, induce my v goodness. to induce VBAC women. And that... So Cytotec is a drug that um, <laughs> causes very strong uterine contractions, but was mm -hmm. actually never approved as a uterine stimulant. It's another type of drug. I don't even know what it treats, but yeah. it's caused so many problems. If for VBAC, yeah. For VBAC, yeah. for VBAC. And if you ask like what, I don't know the statistics, again, not a statistic girl, but if you, um, if you, I know that there's a statistic somewhere that if you go back and look at uh, all of the, um, the uterine problems 
and see which of those labors had cytotech involved, it's it's like skyrockets your chances yep. of having rupture, of having uh, fetal distress because those contractions. I the have baby statistics. Just... <laughs> oh, that's so, so exciting. So in the mid nineties, the rates of uterine rupture ten, multiplied by ten, so ten x. What? There, because because in in the 90s it was like the hip thing to do is to schedule your birth right you can schedule your birth just like you can schedule a haircut right and so they were doing you know um, routine inductions like just op, you know elective there you go elective inductions was a really popular thing and so it was with VBAC and Cytotec was a new thing and Cytotec is a really effective cervical ripener but the thing about Cytotec is you can't take it out once you put it in and so it's like a really Whereas big Pitocin so yeah Cytotec is a pill they put up uh, yeah. it's a medication they put up yep. on your cervix Yep. In, up in your vagina, whereas oxytocin or pitocin, they yeah. would um, do intravenously and they can control the dose. They can yeah, take you and they up can and turn down. it off mm-hmm. and it gets out of your system fairly Very quickly. quickly. But Cytotec is really, really good at doing its job. It's really good at causing strong and effective contractions and it clamps that uterus down and chunk, 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 the problem just gets though that baby out. is a labor is like a wave. And if yeah. you're doing your wave and uh-huh. the Cytotec is doing an opposite wave, you can end up with an hour long contraction, which crashes your yep. baby. <laughs> and an overworked uterus is a prime scenario for a uterine rupture. Anything mm. that overworks use of the uterus, well, you, even excessive pitocin. I mean, if you're yeah. running and you run yourself to a pulled muscle, yep. it's the same thing. It's the thing. same thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so they were using Cytotec to induce VBACs and nobody knew that it was the Cytotec causing these these big, huge multiplication multiples of uterine ruptures. And so also that happened at the same time everyone was suing everybody in, in the mid-90s, right? Everyone's like, I'm going to sue you. I'm just going to sue. Anything happens to you. You're going to get a lawsuit, right? And so malpractice insurance... Um, was getting a lot of claims due to uterine ruptures and things like that. And so so malpractice insurance companies actually stopped covering providers for a point. They say, you can support a VBAC, but you're not covered for malpractice insurance while you're attending to that patient. Oh my goodness. So doctors, what could they do but say, I can't do VBACs? And so women's kind of almost overnight, the option was taken away from them. And, and it was all because of the Cytotec. All because all of the, the Cytotec. Mm. And now, you know, 10, 10, 15, 20 years later, we know that now. And actually a provider, if they even suggest Cyto- using Cytotec on a VBAC patient, um, they can have their license removed mm-hmm. because they know that it's like a big no-no right now. Um, but the attitude with all of that backlash that happened in the 90s is still around. And so there's this fear um, and even probably not even a conscious fear, but like this subconscious fear. And guess what? If you do a C-section, you can say you did everything you could yeah. to, you know, yeah. to save the mm-hmm. baby's life or the mother's life or whatever. And so it's just a really complicated political thing. But this is where it's really important that you educate yourself. And this mm-hmm. is what I would recommend for any any parent just in general, but especially for VBAC women, okay? Don't spend hours and hours and hours and hours on Google or Facebook groups or talking to your family about your options because Megan and I, my business partner, we've been there, we've done it, and it is the most frustrating experience of our lives. Yeah. Take Well, because you're going to die. You're going to explode and everything bad is going to happen. And then it it shakes you up and it makes you question Mm -hmm. yourself. That's why we've created this course. We've created a course. It's called I don't know what it's going to be called, but right now <laughs> we'll, it's called. We'll update this with the link later. <laughs> from the VBAC Parents Preparation Course to how to increase your chances of VBAC success. And how about it's going to change. You're not going to blow up. That's you're not the, going to yeah, blow no. up. Yeah, but really, it's it's a it's uh, we have web based courses, so it's all online at your own pace. Mm-hmm. If you're in Utah, we have Utah courses, but we have taken we spent hundreds of hours writing this manual, compiling it, mm-hmm. making sure everything is fact 
fact-based, evidence-based, giving you all the information you need mm-hmm. to think to cover any bases you can think of covering. Yep. Um, and so we put it all there for you so you can save your time, you save your yep. frustration, and you can go into conversations mm-hmm. with people like your providers and your mother-in-law mm-hmm. and your sister and your friend with confidence yep. and facts. And then you can find the best provider and the best birth location yeah. and the best doula to support you because you already know what you want. Yes. And you already know what's available yep. and you already know what's based on evidence versus what's based on fear. So I think that when you become pregnant and you find out you're pregnant, your first choice should be, where am I going to give birth? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it shouldn't be, uh, I don't think that your past birth should indicate or how your mother-in-law gave birth or how your mom gave birth or even how your partner wants to give birth. Mm -hmm. I think that giving the mom, giving moms the courage to say, you know what, this time I'd like to be in a hospital. Mm -hmm. And this time I'd like to schedule it because my sister's getting married and I think it'd be nice. This time I would like this. And then the next time going, you know what? I would like to try home birth because we bought this brand new house and, or, you know, we have these other children and the hospital doesn't allow children at the birth and we'd like them. And and giving the mom the right to pick per birth and, 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 and then, and then checking with herself and going, okay, I would like to do a home birth. Does that feel safe? And then being able to, and we'll talk about this with, uh, with other guests and throughout, you know, the, the life of this, but how do you check your fears versus your, your gut telling you that's not safe? Because there can yeah. be the voices in your head saying, you're going to die. And then yeah. the other voice going, <laughs> going, but maybe you're just afraid because, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and then, and then, um, that's the first step. I think it, it has to start at a heart issue. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe for me, it has to start with an issue. Maybe with, um, you, since you're st- a stats girl, it would have to start with the stats before you could convince your heart. But for me, I've got to convince my heart first and yeah. then go to the stats. Yeah. And so this is the, what you've created is an amazing resource because as moms can get centered with what their heart says they should do mm-hmm. and then get the stats to back Absolutely. it up, they can go in and it's not like burning the bra and flaming. Like, you don't, we don't want to make <laughs> yeah. providers mad. Like, but you that, want to find a provider that any, supports you don't get what you want. But if you can go to a that. provider and say, look, these are the stats. Here are my stats. Here are how the, my past births went. Here was my healing. This is why I'd like a C-section. And um, and you present to them your professional self, your professional mm-hmm. birther, that, that they can then meet you back and say, well, here are my concerns. And then you, because you know what you're looking for and what you're listening to, you can decide if that's a good provider fit. Yep, absolutely. I think though, even if you don't, so say, for example, we have... Um, um, a crusty old provider that just thinks that, you know, be back should be outlawed and children yeah. in general should be outlawed and nobody <laughs> should be allowed to get pregnant. And, but he has a hundred women come through his office to interview him and say, look, I've researched this, 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 and I would like a VBAC. Do you think that really in his crusty hood after a hundred women, he's not going to go, wait a minute, what's going to, maybe there's what's something going, going on? on here. Yeah. 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 And so it, rather but it than, starts at our level. Yeah. It starts at the mm-hmm. consumer level so and we as birthers are the consumers. Exactly. You can't go to the risk management, the hospital and say, we demand change. We demand more VBACs. We demand, it's yeah. not going to make sense. The only way mm-hmm. it makes sense to hospitals if if moms because hospitals will do their best to keep us safe and their bottom line their profit margin safe yeah, at absolutely. all costs because our safety is their profit margin so it's all good yeah like they really are motivated <laughs> yeah. pretty well to keep us safe as long as we can meet them too with education and and yeah straight knowing exactly what we want well and that's true that's so important because and that's what we say too like we always close out our courses talking like this and we just say you know we use, we say head heart and birth team okay take learn everything you can and it doesn't have to be in this order right the birth team should probably be, be the last but like head and heart can be interchanged right 
Learn everything you can. Get all the knowledge mm-hmm. in your head, everything you can about all your options, yes. and then pick the best option for you, and then check it with your heart, or vice versa, yep. right? Okay, fill it in your heart, and then fill your head with all the information that you can. And when your head and your heart make sense together, and they match up, and they line up, and they yeah. feel good, then you can start preparing your birth team, and you can pick them based on mm-hmm. how they operate, mm-hmm. Um um, naturally towards your plan. Mm-hmm. Because, because let me tell you what, my C-section doctor did a great job on my C-section. Mm-hmm. He did a great job. In fact, the nurses in the hospital that he works at call him the quilter oh, because of how awesome. beautiful his stitching is. So you can wear a uh, bikini. Yeah. No so I mean like, except for I wouldn't for other reasons. But like, <laughs> Okay. But so if I were going to have a repeat C-section, I would go to him. For sure. And I would say, hey, you did a great job with my C-section last time. Please. I want this I want C-section. You. I want you this mm-hmm. time because you're really good at C-section. Oh, C-sections. I know another mom that, that waits, yeah. that picks her date based on her doctor's availability because yeah. she wants his C-section. Yeah. And so, but I would not in my life go to him for a VBAC or for an unmedicated birth. And so knowing what you want and really knowing what your options are and feeling good about that Mm -hmm. is the first thing you need to do. And then don't be afraid to go in and interview several providers before you make your decision. In fact, most providers will like do an interview before taking you on as a patient. Ask to meet them in their office, fully dressed. So you're not like a a patient in a robe on their operating table. Oh, that's a really... It puts a lot of power (gasps) back in your court because when when you're in the exam room and you're half naked and you're having a discussion with a professional with a, you know, stethoscope around his neck and a doctor's coat on. Oh my goodness. It's easy to feel like you're the, like you're the, the less... Yeah, for one. sure. But if you're meeting across from them in their office, across from and a you're desk, fully clothed. and you're fully clothed, <laughs> and you have your little checklist or your notes or whatever, mm-hmm. and you're having a discussion, it's you're going to feel more empowered. You're going to feel more like equals, and you're going to feel more in charge. Well, and, and you would never hire somebody to fix your plumbing or re-roof your roof. If, if you say, I would like a black roof, and he comes and he goes, you know what? You really, you really just need a, a, a bright orange one. I mean, the... the the, the bright orange, the fact, color schemes yeah, is the color not great. Scheme. And, and you probably just, uh, the black roof would probably just make you way too hot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you go, well, I would like an orange roof and he, or a black roof. Yeah. And he goes, well, no. I mean, that's all I... I like I'm going to do only orange. That's all I do is My orange. policy I get orange. a discount on orange <laughs> shingles. And so that's really what I think is best for you. You'd be yeah. like, that's a ridiculous story. Yeah, you'd that's go so find another roofer. Retarded. Yes. <laughs> <Roofer>. Please. <laughs> Go find another roofer. <laughs> Go find another roofer. Find another provider. And yes. there's nothing wrong with an orange roof except when you know, there's... If you want an orange roof. Whatever. Yeah. No no judging. Yeah. But... When we don't judge, mm-mm. it's just the, the thing that breaks our hearts is watching women get coerced and pushed into these mm-hmm. birth choices without even knowing that there are any other mm-hmm. options available well, to yeah, them. Well, yeah, if you go to another roofer, he's going to charge you twice as much. Or, you mm-hmm. know, I know this one roofer. Any he, other roofer is going to tell you the same thing. Yeah, any other roofer. This, <laughs> this other roofer, he's got like a 99% chance of your roof clap, collapsing in on you and killing your family. And so really, <laughs> yeah, silly. So silly. You would even yeah. do it with your florist for your wedding. I yeah. mean, you no, had you, yeah. you had boundaries with yeah. your florist. Yeah. If she tried to do roses and you wanted hydrangeas, you'd that was like a boundary about the freaking <laughs> roses. So why why when we get pregnant we have to yeah. like abandon all of our preferences? Well, and, it's even harder with feedback. It's just even yeah. harder with feedback. And so again, um, 
if you're a VBAC mom, connect with us at the VBAC link. Mm -hmm. You know what? Like we, we have our courses. We would love for you to take our course. It's going to save you a ton of time. It's going to build your confidence. It's going to help your heart feel reassured. It's going to help you know how to pick the rest provider. Mm -hmm. It's going to help you know all the information. You can find that at the VBAClink.com. But you know what else you can find at the VBAClink.com is our weekly podcast, our weekly blog, a community. We have a Facebook community. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. And our biggest, the heart of the VBAC link is our community. Yeah. And and it's the like-minded women that have the same needs as you. And so go right now. If you're not ready for our course, don't, 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 don't do the course. I don't right. want to, I'm not trying to, to, to share anything with anyone that they don't want, but go give our podcast a listen. It's free. Join our Facebook group. It's free. Mm -hmm. Read our blogs. They're all free. Our We answer all the messages that we get ourselves, me and Megan ourselves. And so um, we really want to connect and talk to you and help you. And that's why we started up the VBAC link in the first place. So basically it comes down to that if a mom decides she wants a VBAC, she has endless resources. Endless. She has books yep. and she has podcasts and she has the VBAC link yep. and she can, yeah, make the choice that's right yep. for her and her baby. Yeah, absolutely. And, and empower And don't let partner. anyone scare you into it. If, it. if anyone's making you feel fearful, step back from that person or that thing and then ground yourself. Take some time. We always recommend like meditate like every day, even for five minutes and ground yourself and turn it, tune into that intuition um, mm -hmm. that you have as a mother and listen to it. And that's how you can tell whether what you're feeling is coming out of fear or whether it's coming from your intuition. It's just taking five minutes, step back, yeah. take deep breaths, meditate, yeah. ground yourself yeah thank you so much julie and i congratulations on the success oh, of the v-back I mean, you've obviously so exciting. hit a nerve <laughs> um, someday yeah. we'll maybe tell your story of how the v-back accidentally happened but it's the it's an amazing story of yeah of women who've decided to just take it um yep. take on the the responsibility of educating well not the responsibility but take on the challenge of of educating and empowering women to have successful v-backs yeah thank you so much you're welcome so again the vbacklink.com Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience. And thank you to LaunchPod Media, who produces these podcasts.